Well, good morning, Fruit Cove Baptist Church. We're going to open our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 22, the very last book of the Bible, the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible. How about that? So I'm going to suggest that if you are now looking at your Bible and you're looking at maps or the concordance, you need to turn left, go back a little bit. You got overly enthusiastic and... Uh, I want you to uh, just back up a little bit there, but we're going to look together at Revelation 22. We started a series several weeks before Easter talking about heaven. I know, I've heard from many of you, I've heard from people who said, well, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I never heard that before. Everything I'm saying to you is in the Bible. So you can find it. If you haven't seen it, keep looking. You'll find it. It's in there. And I'm trying to tell you where these things are. I'm throwing some things out that you'll have to look at a little bit deeper. I'm opening the door for questions that I'm not going to answer for you. I'm not going to tell you whether your dog or cat is going to go to heaven. Um, I will tell you this, that if there, whatever there was in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve fell, there will be in heaven. How about that? There were animals in the Garden of Eden. So I don't know what kind of animals, and I don't know if it's the cats or the dogs that made it, I'm not sure, but can't tell you for sure, but we'll, we'll deal with that when the time comes. I know there's all kinds of questions that come to mind when we start thinking about this topic, and I'm not answering all your questions, I'm just opening the door for the questions. But uh, today, we're going to talk about, I want us to begin reading in Revelation 22, where it's a companion chapter, let me put it this way. When you read Revelation 21, 22, you're getting a picture of heaven, okay? This is the picture of heaven that God wants us to have. This is the only real picture of heaven. We can find some pieces here and there throughout the Old and New Testaments that kind of fit together, but we really don't have much more of a complete picture than these chapters give us. And we already, again, we've already dealt with chapter 21 and the pieces in that, so uh, we're going to go ahead and finish the series in chapter 22 today. Again, there's a lot of stuff I haven't gotten to get to, and, and I would love to have more time to do that, but we'll, we'll just take what, uh, what we have not right now. I'm beginning in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 22. Let's read God's Word together. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. And they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. They, you, will reign forever and ever in heaven. Now, I, I want us to pray. If you came in this morning and your heart was heavy and you came in and I can see it, I'm watching people, I watch people as they come in and out. And if you walked in and your eyes are looking at the sidewalk, or, now sometimes that's the sign of an introvert that doesn't want to talk to anybody and I get that. 
Now, some of you are sorrowful that you're heavy today, you're burdened today. I can tell because you're looking down at earth. A person who's thinking about heaven, I've never heard a person say, I was thinking about heaven today and it made me so sad. Our focus gets off. My goal today is to do one simple thing. I'm not going to educate you deeply on any particular subject. My goal, my hope, is that if you're a person that came in with your eyes fixed on earth and with heaviness and sorrow in your heart, that you'll leave with your eyes lifted up and your heart light because you have hope in heaven that's coming. I want you to pray with me. Father, right now, as we open your word together, I pray that it will do the work that only your word can do. No other book, no other, uh, no man, no, I cannot add anything to your word that makes it more powerful than it is. I just pray that we will unleash it properly today. That my thoughts, my heart, my mind will be your instrument, Lord, to speak to your people today whom you deeply love. And I pray, Father, our hearts and our thoughts will be consumed by the thoughts, the promise of heaven that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that, would you please say amen. Australia has an unlikely hero. His name was William Stacy. William was a, an illiterate alcoholic who, in 1930, became a Christian at a rescue mission in Melbourne, Australia. And when he left the rescue mission, he began his life's mission. He became a preacher. Not a preacher in a pulpit, because he really never preached a word in a pulpit. Didn't write books. Never wrote a book. His preaching was done on the streets and the sidewalks of the city. And over the next years of his life, he lived into his 90s, he wrote a word. He wrote this word almost 500,000 times on every street, every sidewalk, every byway. Almost 500,000 times. It was such a significant word that when the time came for Australia to celebrate the changing of the millennium, they put that word on a huge banner and hung it on the side of the Sydney Harbor Bridge, where it was seen worldwide by over 2 billion people. One word. One word. The word that Stacy wrote was not a new word. And it was actually a word that it's kind of surprising the people of Australia didn't push back on it a little bit. But he wrote it. And over and over and over today, 
people still remember him by that one word. The word was eternity. Eternity. Now, interestingly, Stacy's message and his method was not a brand new thing. King Solomon had already made that point in his journal in chapter 3, verse 11, where he said, God has put eternity into the hearts of man. You are an eternal being. Eternity is etched deeply inside of you, not with chalk that washes away and fades, but you are an eternal being. And let me say this to you, whether you're listening online or on the radio or here in this room, let me say this to you. Some of you today have placed as the highest priority of your life, the focus of your life, Happiness. I want to be happy. You have a one-word message. It's happy. I just want to be happy. And I want to ask you today, if that is your goal, and if that is your intention, and that is your plan, and that is, that is what you are moving everything in your life toward, are you? Is it working? Are you happy? Because here's what I know. Here's where we fail. If you're trying to be happy today, simply by looking at this world and what it can bring you and what it can do for you, and you are not taking eternity into account, I promise you, you're on a failed mission. You will not find the happiness you're looking for. In fact, you know what I'm finding more and more? I'm finding people who, whose goal is to say, I just want to be happy. I want this, boy, I want to get the right job, the right house, the right spouse, the right kid. I want to get all this together. I want to have these things. I want to get a boat. I want to get that. I want to get this and have these things. And when I have all these things, I'm going to be happy. And then when they don't have all these things and they hit about 40 or 45 or 50, you know what happens? It all turns into despair. Because if the only chance you have to be happy is in this life, you blew it. But you know what? I know a lot of Christian people that don't have everything. They don't have a lot. They don't have most of what they would want. And yet they are inordinately happy people. Now, I'm not saying they might not be a little disappointed from time to time that they don't drive a newer car or live in a bigger house or whatever the goal may be. But they understand something. This life is not designed to make you happy. This world is broken. And it's really hard to be happy in a broken world because everything that you do has thorns in it. Everything that you attempt has frustration built into it because God wants to keep you looking into eternity, not onto the planet Earth for your fulfillment. So for some of you today, I could maybe help you be happy before you leave. 
Not by giving you everything you want, but by telling you where to look. Because you're looking in the wrong place if you're looking down. If you're thinking you're going to find it here. How important is eternity to you? Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, The only ultimate tragedy for the Christian is feeling at home on earth. You're trying to nestle in and make this world your home? It's not your home. Not yet. Not yet. Let me, let me give you some, you know, the Bible gives us some admonitions thinking about this. Jesus came, the Gospel of Matthew said that Jesus came with this one message, and that is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and for thir- I want you to understand it this way. When Jesus came to earth, what literally happened is heaven came and lived with us for 33 years on earth. Jesus came to show us, to teach us the rules of heaven. This is how we relate. This is how, the, this is how eternity is going to look. This is, this is how people are going to deal with each other in eternity. Paul picked that message up, and he wrote eternity in this way. In Philippians chapter 1, he wrote from a prison cell in Rome, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. That's not the sound of a divorce, of a, of a, of a depressed person writing that. That's not the voice of a man in despair. That's a voice of a man who said, I'm okay where I am. But if I could depart and be with Christ, it would be far better. Is eternity written in your heart? He said, your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. We earthbound folks get way too tied up in politics of the world. Your citizenship is in heaven, not in this world. He wrote about heaven in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. He says, set your mind, Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. What are we being told? We're looking in the wrong place sometimes. 2 Peter 3, verse 13 says, Therefore we look forward to new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. You say, well, pastor, you know, the people have said, I, I can, you know, I can tell you an old person because people have said, you know, well, that's you Christians, you know, all you worry about is heaven. You just, you're, so earth, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Can I tell you something? First of all, let me say this. No, we are not too heavenly minded. If anything, we are far too less heavenly minded. We don't talk about it. We don't sing about it. The preachers don't preach about it. And you don't think about it. Can I say this? I wish you were more heavenly minded. Because if we were, we would do more good here. In the period of church history, when Christians were most 
consumed with heaven, most consumed with it, they did the most good on earth. They started schools. They started hospitals. They started rescue missions. They started, they started ministries to the poor. They started orphanages. Well, if they were so heavenly minded, why were they doing all that on earth? So no, it's not counterproductive to be heavenly minded. There's nothing wrong with that at all, in fact. The Bible is preoccupied with eternity. It's a biblical preoccupation. This world is not my home. We used to sing, at least this world, the way it currently exists, is not your home. And this world doesn't welcome you if you are an eternity dweller. It doesn't like you. It doesn't want you reminding it that this is not all there is. The world's very happy to go on living as though the world is everything and we've got to just find whatever we can find while we're here because we're just, we're just going to get our one shot around. If you're looking for a city made without hands, you will not be welcomed in this world. Part of the reason that C.S. Lewis pointed out that nothing in this world could truly satisfy the longing of our hearts. Every good thing we enjoy on this planet points to something better to come. Some of us find ourselves, oh, you know, in these moments where you're just having this great experience, you just, have you ever been to a place, maybe a vacation, or you've gone to the beach, you've, you know, been in a place, the mountains, something, and you just go, oh, I just wish I could stay here forever. What are you doing? You're longing for something that you can't have right now. But you know what? You're going to get your mountain one day. You're going to get your beach one day. You're going to get your condo in the sky one day. You're going to get that. It's coming. Christians know that. Earth dwellers walk away disappointed and broken. I know that these good experiences are just pointing me to something better yet to come. I know that. If your mind is fixed on eternity. I have a friend who's a pastor from the Philippines, and he's a catalyst with the North American Mission Board in New York City. Hard job, hard situation, hard place. But he and his family have been stranded in a hotel room for 15 months. Now imagine that for a moment. I know some of us want a vacation, but 15 months in a hotel is not a vacation. That's a, that's a prison sentence. 15 months in a hotel room after their home burned in New York. They had no place else to go. They're waiting for their home to be rebuilt. It's underway. But in the meantime, they're living in a temporary spot. And, and I talk to him occasionally, and we meet together and pray together and talk. And, he, and he, he tries to keep his family encouraged with this word. You know, the, our, our home is coming. They're going to they're gonna get it done one day. We'll have our home. It's coming. It's coming. Just hang in there. Don't lose heart. Every day, you're just having to pump that up. Do you know what? Eternity dwellers. You know, you're living in a hotel right now too, right? Hotel Earth. And you're here, you've been here for a while. And you're thinking, when do I get to pack my stuff and go to my permanent home? Because this hotel room is getting crowded. And it's not fun. It's not home. I mean, man, it's great to visit a hotel for a few days, but 15 months? We live in a temporary place. 
But here's what they're not doing. They're not painting the walls. They're not going to home goods to buy furniture to put in the hotel room. They're not hanging pictures on the wall. They're going home one day. That ain't their home. This is where we are. In this temporary spot. And, and you may not be able to imagine exactly how that would feel, but in some ways you know exactly how it feels. Because every day you feel that, oh, man. Nothing in this world really satisfies you. Nothing is enough. Nothing is enough. So we have to encourage each other in this transitional dwelling not to lose heart while we're waiting for our home. Now let me get, let me get into that. I'm trying to get to the text. I still haven't started preaching yet, so I'm going to get there in a minute. So let me, let me, let me go through one more thing. Let me, let me set the context. There's a biblical illustration I want you to see. We're going to get to that in a second, but before we do, a couple of thoughts of review, and I want to go back. I can't pick up everything, but I want us to just, I'm trying to grab two or three main streams of thought that we've been into in the past weeks. First of all, we have eternal life now, right? We have eternal life. Jesus said, if, if, you, if you believe in me, you will live and never die. If you, if you believe me, if you keep my word, you will live and never die. He says this in, in the Gospel of John a couple of times. He reminds us, you're not going to die. That's good news. How many of you have a bucket list? Be honest. You got a bucket list. You got part of a bucket list. You're working on a bucket list. Okay. If you do, you can throw it away. Because you're not going to kick the bucket. So you don't need to worry about your bucket list. Because you're going to have, you know, you know why we have a bucket list? Because we're very conscious. Boy, I just got so many years left. I just have so many. You told me last week, Pastor, I only got so many days left. So I'm really rushing. I really want to get this bucket list done. I want to get all this stuff checked off. Why? Well, I'm running out of time. No, you're not. You have eternity. I want to see Hawaii. Well, I want to see Hawaii after God fixes it. <laughs> I'm going to wait till he cleans it up, and then I'm going to go. I don't want to go now and pay a bunch of money to go over there. It's dirty. It's not, it's not nice. I'm sorry, Hawaii representatives, but it's not. I've been there, so I'm, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's, you know, I want to go when God renews everything. And that's what you're going to get to do. Don't worry about your bucket list. You have eternal life. You're going to live forever. It's already started. You're already there now. You, became, you got that when you became a Christian. You are now an eternity dweller. You're not going to die. So I don't need to plan a funeral. I'm not saying that. Just You're not going to die. You are not going to die. The, the, the you that is you is not going to die. Don't worry about it. Let somebody else worry about that. You worry about, you, you know, you're, you're not going to have to worry about dying. Secondly, you're going to have an eternal resurrected body one day. Now, you don't have one yet. You have a body right now that's dying. You know how I can tell it's dying? I heard some of you when you were sitting down. You went, oh. And, you know, when you, when you were standing up, you know, we always play music when you're standing up because, you know, we hear you. So we're, we're just going, okay, well, let's try to cover that up and let's put a little... Put a little music in there so folks can get up. Oh, uh. You know, we hear the noise. You're dying. We're all dying. Everybody's dying. You're in a dying body. If you looked in a mirror, you're in a dying 
body. It's decomposing before you. You can look in the mirror. Well, where do those wrinkles come from? You're decomposing. You're dying. It reminds us we're in a dying body. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be unkind, or I'm not trying to to step on anybody's you know sensitivities here. I'm just telling you, your body ain't fixed yet, but it will be. Amen. You're going to have a body that is going to be. New. It's going to be made new. And husbands, if your wives don't say amen right there, your, your, your wife's going to have a brand new body? Why? <laughs> See, I told you not to do that. that. That kind of thing gets you in a lot of trouble. You need, you need to save all that money. Okay. You need to save all that money on plastic surgery. You don't need it, okay? It's... It's, it's, you're going to get a brand new resurrected body that's going to be perfect, never sick, never die, never age, never get fat when you eat too much. I mean, you get a perfect body. Why do I need a perfect body? Because of the third thing, you're going to live on a perfect earth. You're going to live in a new heavens and a new earth. And here's the thing again. Here's where we get it wrong. Heaven is coming down to earth. The goal of the Christian life is not to get you off planet earth. It's to get you back on it. How do I know that? Because that's what your father is continually trying to do throughout the Bible. Get onto the earth. All we think about is how am I going to get off this thing? No, well, God's coming down here. I think I want to be where he is. And this is the hardest thing for us to get as Christians. You're not going to just float around up there on some cosmic cruise ship. You're going to be down here living life in a place, you know what else? That feels like home. It feels like home. I, I, you know, I can't wait. Now, I'm not suicidal. I just can't wait. I think, man, this is going to be great. So everything we're going through right now, there, it means something. It's important. Everything we do here and now is very important. It has eternal consequences. We're going to live one day in a place. Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. When he used the word, he used the word place, the, word, the Greek word is topos, topography. We get our word topography for that. It's a place, geographic place. It has, uh, in fact, the word earth, the Greek word for earth is gi which means well, we get our word geology from that. It's a place. He's going to create a new place for us. We're not, we're not disembodied spirits in heaven. We're going to live on earth. You're going to live on this planet. You're going to see mountains and oceans and all the things that God created. When he made them, they were perfect and sin had not stained everything. And then one day you're going to get to see that. See, we go, the Bible, tell, the Bible takes us, well, I'm trying to hurry here. I want to, I still haven't started preaching yet. <laughs> the Bible takes us from a garden to a garden. You started in the Garden of Eden. You're going to go, you know what, you, well, what's the garden look like? I just read it to you, Revelation 22. That's the garden. Now, that's not everything. That's just the garden. There's a garden. You're going from one garden to another garden, but you're going through a third garden. The third garden is the garden where the tomb of Jesus was. And you don't get to the last garden until you go through that middle garden. And you see that tomb is empty, and you trust that Jesus not only died for you, but he was resurrected for you.
Then you can go to the last garden. Where's that garden going to be, Pastor? Right here. Right here in Fruit Cove, Florida. How about that? Right here in Mandarin, Jacksonville, wherever you are, northeast Florida is going to be part of the garden. Isn't that great? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. We have this coming. We have these pictures. The Bible paints a very clear picture for us of what that's going to look like. And he talks about the river, this, this clear water that flows down through the middle of this city. Everybody wants to live on the water, right? Everybody wants to live on the river. Everybody wants to live on the ocean. Everybody wants to live on a lake. Waterfront property, most expensive property you can buy. It's not always smart to live there, but there you are. You want to be there. And guess what the Bible just promised you? You get to live on the water. This river that flows. The book of Ezekiel prophesied about it. We read about it a couple years ago. I, read, I preached through that. This river that flows clears crystal. And on either side of the river is the tree of life. We can't even imagine what that looks like. That's the tree that Adam and Eve were barred from getting to. That's why God put angels and said, you can't go in there because you can't eat of that tree now. But in heaven, guess what? You get to. All, listen, you're, you're, the water of life is going to be your sustenance and your drink. The tree of life is going to feed you fruit. It's different fruit every, every month, 12 kinds of fruit every year. That's coming. God's going to provide for you. Did you know that? That's what God's going to do. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Secondly, He's going to give you a purpose while you're there. You're going to be three things. You're going to be his servant. You're going to worship him. And you're going to reign with him. You're going to worship him. You're going to serve him. And you're going to reign with him. You have three purposes. So you're not going to sit in heaven and go, well, what am I going to do now? I just told you, you're going to serve him. You're going to serve him. Hey, uh, hey, Dennis, will you run up to uh, Mars and pick this up for me? Yes. Yes, Lord. What do you want? You're going to serve him. You're going to worship him forever. Perfect worship never gets boring. I don't care where you go today. At some point, worship gets boring. At some point, it gets boring. I've been in wonderful worship services. But they all kind of, uh, after a while, eh. But we'll worship forever. Never gets boring. Never gets boring. And you'll reign. You're going to have responsibility in eternity. Did you know that? You're going to have responsibility. Well, what am I going to do? Depends on what you're doing now. You're going to be doing something. You're made for something. You're already created. God has already put an imprint in you. And, 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 and people say, well, pastor, you, are, you, are you going to be a preacher in heaven? No, they don't need preachers in heaven. I'm going to be unemployed in heaven. I don't have, I don't have a job. 
But a long time ago, and I've told you this, you think I'm being facetious, I'm being very serious. A long time ago, I had an opportunity to go off and play drums for a living, Christian music, and I wanted to. I wanted to. And at the same time, God was calling me to preach. And I had to make a decision. I'm going to Nashville. I'll go to Louisville Seminary. And God dropped this in my heart, in my spirit. You preach for me now. Play drums in heaven. You're going to find me at the drum set. That's where I'm going, in heaven. I'm, I'm in the drum cage, okay? So if you want to find Pastor Tim, now I'm not Pastor Tim up there. I'm just the guy playing drums, okay? But I'm going to do that. That's, uh, you know, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that worship ministry in heaven. That's great. I, I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, we got work to do. But you're going to have a purpose. And your responsibility is going to be directly related to how well you handled your responsibilities here. God tests us all the time. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to die. No, it does matter. What you're doing here impacts how you're going to be dealt with in eternity. End of the day. That's the way it's going to be. How you doing? So we have the provision of God, the water of life, the tree of life. We have purpose. We're going to serve. We're going to worship. We're going to reign. But finally, we have this big promise, the presence of God. Look at what it says. His name is going to be on their forehead. Verse 4. His name will be on their foreheads. His name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. That's a huge thing. Seeing somebody's face is, a, is, a, is an open-ended call to intimacy. God is calling you to, to an intimacy with him. You're going to see his face. How many times the psalmist prayed, Lord, don't turn your face from me. How many times when you fight as a couple, do you sleep back to back? You won't turn your face toward each other. Because your face is intimacy. Your face looking at God face to face, your Father. Ortez Lorenzo Perez escaped from Cuba and went to America during Castro's reign and as he was fleeing Cuba, left behind his wife, his two children. I, I've been, and many of you have used, some of you lived through this, but I've sat in that airport in Havana and had a, a Cuban friend tell me about what it was like to be a part of a drawing. They had a lottery. They would let so many people leave. You would have to draw the right ticket. But the problem was, if you left, you were not guaranteed to get to go with your family. And if your family stayed behind, they lived hard. Because you left. And I sat there and thought about I watched that. I saw the door. They said, the same door people went through. 
For Tez got out, he went to America. He lived there, here, for two years. And during the time he was here, he learned how to fly a plane. And after two years, he rented a Cessna, flew out of Florida under the radar to Havana, flew onto the island undetected, had gotten a message to his family, I'm coming. And one day his wife saw an airplane coming and she said, children, that's your father. Landed on a coastal road, and when she saw the plane coming in, she grabbed her children, didn't pack a thing, grabbed her kids, ran out of the house, and ran with her whole strength to the airplane where her husband waited. She had not seen in two years. When she got to the plane, she didn't want to hear about, oh, how wonderful America is, how we're going to realize all of our dreams in America. She didn't want to hear that. She said, her name was Victoria, she said, I just wanted to see my father's face. I wanted to see the face of Ortiz, my husband. The whole time she ran with her girls in her arms, she said, girls, we're going to see your father. We're going to see your father. We're going to see your father. And they did. You know, one day God's going to come back. Jesus is going to return. Not in a Cessna. But when that happens, we're going to get to see our Father's face. And you know what? I think when I get to heaven, I don't know what I'm, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. When I get to heaven, though, I think, and I, you know, listen, I want to walk the streets of gold, and I want to see the crystal river, and I want to take some fruit from the tree of life, and I want to do all those things, and those are all wonderful things. But do you know, we can, if, if your picture of heaven is of this perfect place, this incredibly beautiful place where everything, the streets are lined with gold and everything's gold and everything's shiny and brilliant and wonderful and filled with light coming from every direction. But all I want to do is see my father's face. I want to see his face. I see it through a glass darkly here. But I want to see his face. And any picture, you know, I, I still live in the house that Pam and I lived in together for 11 years before she passed away. She used to keep everything cleaned up and smelling. So I came in the other day and there was garbage that I had not emptied and it something awful was in there. And it, it, oh, you know, 
I used to come home and she's been baking stuff and, you know, the house smells so good and it always felt so wonderful and, man, you know, she furnished everything and decorated everything beautifully and it just felt right. It just felt like home and, And I've been in that house now for almost six years after she's gone. You know what? Doesn't feel like home anymore. Doesn't smell like home anymore. Kind of doesn't look like home anymore. But it's not because it doesn't always smell good. It's not because it doesn't look the same with the furnishings. It's because she's not there. And that's what made it home. It wasn't the smells. It wasn't the furniture. It wasn't the decoration. She was there. If your picture of heaven is, is of a place, and it doesn't matter to you if God's there or not. All I, want, oh, I just want that streets of gold. I want all that stuff. I want all those. Listen, let me tell you something. What you're, what you're, the image that you have of heaven is something that you're never going to experience because there is no heaven without God. There is no heaven without the presence of the Father just a gold-plated hell. It's God's presence that makes it heaven. And I hope you're going to be there. I hope you're going to know that life is way bigger than what we're going through here and now. That happiness can come, but it's not going to come it doesn't matter how much of this dirt on earth you accumulate. It's not where happiness lies. It lies in seeing your father face to face. And I hope that's what you're moving toward today. Bow your heads with me, please, if you would. Lord, I, I pray.